Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Experience Has Made Me Rich. I'm Rich Lynn and this is my podcast. So this is the very first episode and as such, I gotta say, I'm really, really, really appreciative that you've chosen to listen because you know what? There always has to be a first and if my experience has told me anything about that, the first one is usually pretty cringeworthy when you look back. But there has to be a first, so this is it. Like I said, thanks for listening in. Before I get started, I just want to quickly let you know a little bit about my background and my ideas for the podcast. I've been teaching mathematics in high school for the past 17 years or so, although that's not entirely accurate because for the past two years I've been on leave from that job so that I could teach mathematics at the University of Waterloo. And that's, uh, that's just coming to an end now. And I'll be heading back to the math classroom in September, in the high school, that is. Um, in that time, I've certainly had experience with dealing with so many different kinds of people, such a large variety of people. Uh, the age range is for sure pretty specific, ages uh, 15 to 20, let's say, now that I've been at university. But for the most part, I would say the center of that range. So we're talking... 17, 16, 17-year-olds, tends to be the majority of the kind of person that I deal with in my professional life, which gives me a perspective on certain things, and probably that perspective would come through in the podcast. My plan going forward with the podcast is to release episodes in two parts separately. So the, the first part of an episode would be me doing what I plan to do now, which is just talking. A little bit stream of consciousness. I do have a, a bit of a lesson plan, but mostly just stream of consciousness, pretending that I'm talking to a student. Uh, And then the second part would be after I get feedback from people on the first part, and hopefully I do get feedback, Uh, that feedback could come in the electronic form, you know, email, uh, commenting online, uh, even in real life, because I imagine a lot of the people that will listen to this first one are people that know me in real life. You know, shout out to friends and family, right? Uh, And then the second half would be addressing that feedback. So it would be either talking to somebody on the podcast or maybe more likely reading feedback and then responding in a, in a somewhat conversational format, even if that person isn't there. Uh, this being the first, I got to say, I'm, I'm more than a little nervous. It's weird, actually. I'm sitting in my basement and I'm talking to nobody, but at the same time, imagining some huge audience. Uh, the way that I'm resolving that is In some sense, I'm pretending I'm talking to just one person, uh, a student, somebody I'm visualizing. I hope that works. You can certainly let me know. I appreciate any kind of feedback. Okay, so the topic for today, you know, this is, uh, I'm not ashamed to tell you, this is the 11th attempt at recording the podcast. The first 10 exist nowhere. I, uh, I, I would record, I would delete, I would record, I would delete. And I've changed topics a few times, uh, but I've settled on a topic that I I think I I really maybe should have been my first go. That topic is honesty, uh, which is sort of a, you know, a word that everybody understands and maybe a little cliche to say, okay, we're going to talk about honesty, but I want to talk about what it means to me and how little I see of it even in good people. And when I say that, I don't mean to say that in a disparaging way. 
I think that honesty is something that you need to practice. I don't think that honesty is a natural state for most people once they reach a certain age. And if you've ever noticed little kids who are just so perfectly honest with everything. I mean, you know, with the things that they say, obviously, because they say they say the funniest things, but even with their the way that they're feeling um, or, you know, the fact that little kids will stare at you, which, of course, is considered rude, but they don't know that yet, right? And they just, they're being honest when they stare at you because something about you is interesting, whatever it happens to be, and they're honestly interested, and their desire to stare, to, to sort of learn or investigate whatever it is that they find interesting, that's an honest desire, and they're acting on it. But we get older, and societal norms, and I think language, impose a layer, I guess, of dishonesty or a filter of dishonesty. And it actually, if you think about it, it permeates everything. So let me give you an example. This one is, I mean, kind of obvious, I guess, because I'm a teacher. But this example is one that I run into a lot. And it has to do with students who are underperforming in some way when it comes to a course. And they will often come to me Uh, I'm talking about the well-meaning ones. I'm not talking about ones that are deliberately trying to obfuscate, but well-meaning students who come to me and they say, you know, I'm underperforming. And and the first thing I say is, well, why do you think that? And it's usually something about their mark. So, okay, fine. So let's suppose that they feel like they could be getting a higher mark. The first thing I want to know is why they feel that way. What, what, What is it about what's going on right now that makes you feel... Like it could be, you know, quote unquote better, you know, somehow, somehow different than, than what you're experiencing. What makes you think you could be getting a higher mark? And they say things like, I don't work hard enough, or I I could work harder, or I, I procrastinate too much, or, you know, I, I find the material difficult, which is interesting because if you find the material difficult, I'm not sure what makes you think you could be doing better. And, and usually when you say that, it's, well, I'm going to, I, I could be working harder. And, th- and the next question I will ask is, well, if you could be working harder, wouldn't you be? What I'm saying is a lot of people will say things like, I could be working harder. And I wonder if they're being very honest with themselves. So, so here's an example. Let's suppose that you've got a big exam coming up. Now, if I'm, I'm talking about a student, right? So I'm talking in the context of academics, but Really, you could take the word exam and you could replace it with project at work, um, some kind of deadline, some kind of life event. So, so, but I'm just going to say exam. So you've got a big exam coming up and you create a study schedule for yourself. And the funny thing about study schedules is they're almost always way too ambitious. It's like to-do lists that are miles long. And if you, you, know, you break down the time frame a person expects to get this done in and the number of things they expect to get done. It's, like, it's just not realistic. So anyway, they've, they've created a study schedule for themselves. And it's like the best case possible scenario if you were studying every waking moment and completely devoted to studying and nothing else. And when I say best case scenario, like it's not really best case scenario. It's a fantasy scenario. Because most people, in fact... Just about everybody I know can't sustain something like that. And so when I say, are you being honest with yourself? I'm talking about right off the bat. Like when you created that study schedule, that plan, or even if it was less formal, 
Are you being honest with yourself about whether that's realistic? And when I say realistic, I don't mean realistic in a sense of can you pull it off under the best situation? I mean, can you pull it off under any situation? I I know, for example, for myself that I definitely can work well in short bursts, sometimes longer bursts. Certainly, sometimes I get into a zone where time just passes. There's no sort of distance between me and the work. And that can last for half an hour. That can last even up to four or five hours. But those those moments are not very common. And more often, I can get into some sort of work mode and I can last in that for some period of time. But then it's diminishing returns. And if I don't stop working and do something else, you know, anything. For me, it's for me, it's a hobby. It, it, it could be drawing or learning to play the guitar or going to the gym, you know, or just surfing the surfing Facebook, you know, social media, whatever it is. If I don't do that, then the thing that I'm letting drive the whole scenario, like the, this big project, this exam, this thing that I'm supposed to be studying for, it's not, I can't optimize my time. And I wonder how many students have the wisdom to realize that before anything happens, you first have to understand who you are, what you want out of life, what you're willing to do to get certain levels of success. And when I say certain levels of success, success is a funny thing. So, you know, let's say you're talking about a math course and you've got this exam and you say, okay, you know what, if I got 100% on the exam, well, obviously that would be completely successful. That would be the most successful I could be on the exam. Well, the next question is, could, could you get 100? And now let's suppose the answer to that is yes, I, I could get 100. Okay, so you have the capability of getting 100. Well, what would it take to get you primed to the point where you would write this exam and, and your score would be perfect? What would it take? And you have to be honest about that. And let's say, you know, that it would take, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to throw a number out there, six hours a day of preparation for, for five days. Okay. That's what it would take. Now ask yourself this. Are you a person who could do six hours a day of preparation for five days? Are you actually a person who could do it? Because I don't actually know too many people who can. Um, some people will say they can, and maybe they can in short bursts, but yeah, most people can't. And during those five days where you were doing six hours of work, what wouldn't you be doing? What, what would you be sacrificing? Um, are you trying to master an instrument? You wouldn't have time to practice that instrument let's say. Uh, do you have a friend group that you really take a lot of comfort from and you really enjoy interacting with? You'd have to separate yourself from them. Could you do it? Um, to what extent could you do it? Let's suppose you're studying and some close friend of yours has some sort of crisis that comes up and they need you, you know, as happens with friends. Could you tell them that you're not available? Is that something you could do? And I think that once you factor in all of these realities, these sort of very honest introspections, you start to realize that maybe the 100% or whatever it is, it's not actually realistic. That there's no, there's no reality that you could exist in where you would achieve that level. And that's okay. You know, what it means is that you have to redefine success. So let's say, for example... You know, sometimes I've had this exact conversation with students and I say, would you be happy with an 85? And when I say happy with, I don't mean like, would you settle for? I mean, would you be happy if you got an 85? And if the answer is no, 
then my question is, what would it take to get more? Would you be, would, what would you have to sacrifice? And what they often don't think about is, would you be happy having sacrificed those things? And everybody's got their own answer. It's not, it's not a leading question. It's not one where I'm trying to guide them to say, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's more like, be extremely honest with yourself when you're making decisions, when you're setting expectations. Because if you set your expectations so high because you base them on like the absolute best case optimal scenario where everything's working exactly the way you want it to and you're willing to sacrifice anything, you're just, you're just going to be let down because that's not life. That's not how life works. And this is what I mean in this context about honesty. I find there's so much disappointment and anxiety and depression that results from people who just from the outset weren't honest. So, you, you know, people will set a goal and they'll say, you know, let's just go back to that exam. You know, I want to get 100%. Okay, you want to get 100%, but will you? Is there any way that that could actually happen? But if you say, well, that's what I want, and then realistically, there's just no way that it could happen. Like, there's just too many variables that would contribute to something less than 100%. Then you're basically, from the get-go, setting yourself up to, at some point in the future, look back and say, I failed. I didn't. I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. And that starts to give you these feelings of, not being successful. So the deal is, and this might sound like I'm saying, you know, set the bar low. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. You should always set the bar high, but you, there's no point setting the bar so high that it's just inconceivable that you could reach it. So what you do is you say, all right, like realistically, if, if I were not letting myself down in any area, how could I perform on this exam? And you don't need to set a number. You just need to say, all right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to realistically assign my time and my energies towards preparing for this exam while at the same time optimizing my health and my happiness in other areas, then you will actually do the best that you can on that exam. And then when you look back, you'll know that you were successful, which is kind of, it's kind of like retroactive goal setting. You set the goal after you've already achieved it. I I look back at that exam and I, you know, I got an 87. You know what? 87 would have been a good goal because when I look back at the time before I was, before I wrote the exam at how I was spending my time, I, I think I spent my time in a way that optimized my well-being in every facet. And 87 is a pretty respectable grade. You know, I'm, I'm very happy with that. And then you say, okay, moving forward, if I wanted to achieve better than that, what would I have to change? And you evaluate and you'd be very honest with yourself. And you say, okay, these are the things I would change. This, I think, is a much better recipe for feeling successful in general, and it breeds itself, like it feeds on itself when you when you do that, which is much different than what I see so commonly, which is people setting unrealistic expectations, unreasonably high goals, uh, because they're not being honest with themselves, and then they ultimately don't reach that level, and then they spend time beating themselves up, and that also feeds on itself. It, it, it creates this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where when you've constantly failed to achieve that which you set out to achieve, you start to believe that you're someone who can't achieve that which you set out to achieve. And what happens? I don't know. I mean, you continue to set unrealistic goals, or even when you set goals that actually are realistic, you've trained yourself to believe that you can't do it. And then you end up making poorer choices or or, or poor choices leading up to a certain event. So that's one example of what I'm talking about when I talk about honesty. It's, It's honesty with yourself. Uh, I'm going to change gears now and talk about a different kind of honesty. And that is 
something I call, I wrote a blog about this once, I call it graceful honesty. And I think it's something that's missing in, in many respects for many people's lives. Here's what I mean by graceful honesty. It's, it's, it's meant, the, the, the idea of it is meant to contrast with brutal honesty. You know, people who say, I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest here, and then they proceed to shit on you with something. Graceful honesty is different. Graceful honesty is really deep, reflective honesty. Uh, let's take an example. Suppose you've made plans to go out to lunch with a friend, and the day is approaching, and you've got a lot on your plate, and you're not feeling so good, and you just you can't see yourself getting up and going out to lunch with your friend. So a couple things are going to happen, right? Like, first of all, if you, if you decide you do want to cancel, you're going to start making up reasons why you're canceling. You're, you're going to try and come up with some reason that isn't actually the reason, but that would be acceptable to your friend so that you could cancel. And then what tends to happen is you go into this mode where you spend a lot of mental energy figuring out what you can tell your friend so that they won't be upset or think ill of you somehow if you don't go to lunch. But I, I would say that there's a different process that you should follow, and it starts with being honest with yourself. So try this exercise. You're supposed to go out to lunch with a friend, and you feel like you don't want to, and you start thinking about excuses that you could make so that you, that you don't go to lunch and that your friend won't be mad. Instead of thinking about those excuses, start being honest with yourself about why, don't you, why you don't want to go. Why don't I want to go? If I don't go, how will I feel afterwards? Because you're faced with a with sort of a fork in the road, right? Like <laughs> your life has reached this point where you're either going to go to lunch with your friend and you're going to live the life of the person who went to lunch or you're going to not go to lunch with your friend and you're going to live the life of the person who didn't. And neither of those forks is necessarily a bad choice, but you should probably spend some time thinking about which one you want. And you may decide that whatever the reasons are that you're feeling that you don't want to go out, maybe you're just lazy or you know you, you didn't wash your hair this morning, I don't know. Um, maybe those are silly and actually you want to go out. But let's suppose that you think about it and you think about all the reasons why you don't want to go and you realize that maybe like maybe you work from home and maybe you've been a little bit, uh, you've, you've fallen a little bit behind on your work and you're feeling a lot of anxiety as a result of that and you're looking at the day and you're looking at the rest of the week and you realize that you could spend a good chunk of time today catching up on work, and that will feel better and make you feel more accomplished. And although you'll be sad that you didn't get to go to lunch, ultimately it's a better fork to choose. Maybe you've decided that. And you've thought about the fact that you're sad that you'd be missing out on lunch with your friend because it's, some, it's somebody that you like, and you like having lunch with them, and you like talking to them, right? So you, you, you evaluate all of that. You look at both forks. You make a decision about which direction makes sense for you. Now that you've done that exercise and that you've really been super honest with yourself about your reasons and you've made a decision for like honest reasons, now there's nothing to worry about. You don't have to think about anything about what to tell your friend. You can actually just tell them why you made the decision that you made. And that, that might feel weird, right? But it's not. It's not weird at all. Because what it does is, although your friend is going to be disappointed, theoretically, that you're not going for lunch, maybe they were planning on it, and maybe they like seeing you too, I hope they do, by telling them the honest truth about why you're not going, you're demonstrating a trust in them and in the relationship that you wouldn't have had an opportunity to demonstrate otherwise. Like if you'd made up some story, you know, maybe, uh, oh, 
you know, sorry, I can't come to lunch. There's a meeting at my kid's school and I, I forgot about it or, you know, I didn't know about it. I just found out this morning there's a meeting at my kid's school. Well, okay, sure. If that were actually true and that's why you were canceling, your friend can't fault you for that. But it's a missed opportunity as far as I'm concerned uh, because to take the opportunity to be completely honest with your friend about your motivations, showing them that you trust them, that they understand what you're saying and, and, and they understand what you're giving up and, and why you're doing so, I think that deepens the bond. Uh, not to mention if you if you make up a story about why you're not going to lunch. That's not actually true. It usually involves some sort of participation by other people. Like like if it's a meeting at your kid's school, you got to say to your kid, oh, you know, so-and-so might ask you about a meeting that was at the school. Uh, just go with it, you know? And then now you put someone in a situation where they have to remember something, like remember, I'm putting in quotes, that something that never happened, right? And that's what lying is. It's 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 making up a narrative that's that's not real, that's not based on any sort of experience, and then that puts pressure uh, on memory, yours and others, of a false experience, even sometimes days or months later. And that, that's also stressful. So A, you know, the lie can create stress, but B, the honesty creates an opportunity that the lie would never have created. And if your friend hears your actual honest reason why you're not going to lunch and is pissed at you for that, um, I think that although that might seem like not a great outcome, I think that's an important outcome as well, because if your friend would have been okay with it, if it had been a meeting at the school that you didn't know about, but they're not okay with it when you say to them, look, I really need to stay home because of, you know, I'm dealing with some anxiety and this, this work is really crushing me and I really need to get a bite taken out of it. And if they get pissed off because of that, then I guess, you know, that, that raises a very, I think, important question, which is to say, what kind of friendship is this? And, and, and is this a friendship that... I need because the other thing that happens when you're honest with people all the time is you find that first of all you're working way less to maintain an image that's probably not real and be the people that you attract with your honesty are the people who are attracted to you actually right and then to stay in relationships with them and to maintain friendships and and and, and whatever um all you have to do is be yourself and continue to be honest now, when I first started deliberately doing this, I did notice, and even to this day, I notice that people who first meet me, they don't, they're not used to somebody being honest. And so they don't understand that that's actually what I'm doing. And they still sometimes look to try and read between the lines, like, oh, you know, he said this, but what did he really mean? But it doesn't take them long to realize that there is nothing between the lines. It's literally just space. Like, whatever I said is exactly what I meant. And if I didn't say it, it's because I, it wasn't something that needed to be said, like that, that I didn't mean it. And after a while, they're very appreciative. And they not only that, people respond in kind. And it's so much easier to be in situations and relationships. Like I'm not talking about necessarily just intimate relationships or even friend relationships. It could be even professional relationships, right? It's just so much easier to be in relationships where everybody knows that what's dominating the conversation is honesty and that any decisions you make are based on a reality and not some fictitious narrative or some, you know, slightly out of phase stream that is ultimately going to, you know, be not, well, ultimately isn't what is really going on. And so it's, 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 it's much easier and people, people really appreciate it. I feel like I was rambling there for a second and I, you know, I might edit that out, but I'm, I'm going to, 
I'm going to carry on. So then now there's another kind of honesty. And I think this will maybe be the last segment of this that I talk about today. You know, and it's funny because I just said it's another kind of honesty. But the truth is I'm not talking about different kinds of honesty. Every, every kind of honesty that I talk about starts with an honesty with yourself. Uh, because we have a tendency to create narratives in our own consciousness that justify actions instead of being honest about explaining actions, right? It's it's a natural thing to do. Everybody does it. And like I said earlier, I think it's a consequence of societal norms, and it's also a consequence of language. Because when we're babies, like the kids who I talked about before who were just naturally honest, you know, they start as babies and they don't have language, right? The only thing they have is emotion, I guess. And they have no choice but to be honest. And then once you develop language, spoken language, you develop the capability of lying. And the first person you probably lie to, if I'm thinking about it philosophically, I guess, is, is yourself. The first person you start lying to is yourself. And you do so with words, you know, when you're talking to yourself. But by the way, when you talk to yourself in your head, I've always wondered, who are you talking to? Um, you, oh, you're going to say, well, I'm talking to myself. Right, right. Okay. But... If you're talking to yourself, you already know what you're going to say. So when you say words in your head, like when you form thoughts and sentences, I've always wondered, who is it? Who's the audience? Because the, the thought in the sentence that you're forming is your thought. You don't need to express it in words, right? This is, it's this weird effect of language that kind of freaks me out a little bit. But anyway, what I was saying was it's, it's I think, the source or at least a vehicle for self-delusion. And I think we all do it. Uh, the first the first step of honesty is to admit that you do it, right? And then to practice, actively practice not deluding yourself. So this last bit of honesty that I want to talk about, or this last, I guess, chapter in the honesty episode, has to do with how you find yourself relating to other people's success. So here's what I mean. Suppose there's something that you engage in, some activity. So I'm going to use an example that I've experienced in my life. Suppose that you... Uh, perform in musical theater. So for me personally, I've performed in amateur musical theater. I'm going to qualify that. Very amateur musical theater uh, for the last 10 years or so, roughly since just after my mother passed away. And it's always sort of the same. People show up to be in a production of whatever. So let's say, let's say you're in a production of Grease and there are auditions. And there's a role that you want. So I'm going to be very specific. Let's suppose you're a guy and you really want to get the role of Danny Zuko. So you audition. You don't get the role of Danny Zuko, right? You audition for the role, but you don't get it. Somebody else gets it. And you get the role of, uh, I don't know, Sonny. So now you're in this production and you're looking at the guy who got the role of Danny Zuko. And I've seen it time and time again that there's this animosity towards the person who got the role that you wanted. So to take this out of this example, what I'm saying is there's somebody who has something or has achieved something, and it appears to be, in some sense, at your expense, like they've achieved it at your expense. And sometimes it's not even at your expense, but in this example it is. So this guy's gotten the role of Danny Zuko, and you didn't, and now you're in this production, and what happens is people watch the person who got the thing or who's doing the thing that they wish they were doing or the, the role they wish they'd gotten. And they're just constantly looking for fault, right? Like trying to prove that this was the wrong decision. Um, I'm the person who should have gotten the role. That guy sucks. 
I can't believe that he can't even sing that song. Oh man, listen to his falsetto. I could do that falsetto better. And they, they deliberately, not deliberately, I, well, in some cases maybe it's deliberately, but they what they end up doing is they sort of put these glasses on that have a lens of fault-finding, right? So they're looking at everything from the perspective of somebody who's just trying to prove that the current situation or this person's success is undeserved, unwarranted, I, I should have that success. And what's funny about that is that although it's occasionally the case that somebody gets something, like gets a role that you would have been better for, it usually isn't. If I'm being very honest, it's almost always the case that the person who got it deserved it. And even if you also deserved it, the person who got it deserved it. The person deserves the success that they have. And if you're busy viewing their success through the lens of how it impacts you and therefore looking for flaws, then A, you you tend to magnify flaws that exist and, and B, and more dangerously, you make up flaws that don't exist. And what it does is it shifts focus away from what you should really be focusing on. And that is... Look at somebody's excellence, look at somebody's success, look at, look at something that somebody's doing and say, wow, that's awesome. Like, that's, that right there is an example of how that thing can happen. So let's just take singing, right? Somebody is able to hit a note with, with like a pure tone, and maybe that's a note that you struggled with. And instead of saying, well, who cares that they can hit that note? I mean, it's not even important. Instead, just be like, wow, that's hitting that note with that tone and that clarity, that's a possibility. That's, that's humanly possible. And you can derive great inspiration from that, right? And then you can turn that around and focus that on yourself and say that is possible. And because it's possible, because that person has shown me that it's possible, I know there's a path to get there. And this applies in like every area, seriously, every area of life. It, it applies in academics. You know, there's always somebody in the class who's smarter than you, who somehow seems to be not working as hard and, and getting better grades, you know, it comes more naturally for them or, or some musician who's more talented or some singer who's, who's got a better voice or some weightlifter who's stronger or, I mean, yeah, the list could go on, right? And instead of being bitter about it or looking for reasons why that should be you, look at it and say, wow, I'm just, I'm just so amazed that that is somebody because that's a human being and I'm a human being. And what they've done is they've just demonstrated that there's excellence out there, that it's possible. And it's funny, but when you take that view instead of the other one, um, so many good things tend to happen. I mean, you can develop relationships with people uh, and they can share their journey. They can, they can help you on that path. Um, you get a much more positive outlook on every experience. You get so much more out of every experience, right? You, It's just... Um, it's just so much more of a pleasant way of being. And it, what the other thing that happens is you grow much more. I, I often say that it's kind of like the whole, um, you know, do you want to be the smartest person in the room or do you want to be in a room of smarter people? And some people might say, like, I want to be the smartest person in the room, but that, that's, that's not really a great goal. Because once you're the smartest person in the room, there's nobody there who's demonstrating a path forward right? Like you, you, okay, sure. You could, you could forge your own path, but at some point you do need somebody who's been there, who's, who's like a head, right? So that they set a model for you and then you can follow that. So personally, um, whenever I start to feel like I'm the smartest or strongest or funniest or whatever is like, like, like any word ist in the room, I realize that I'm in the wrong room. And then I start looking for a place 
that is, you know, whatever that anything is. If I was the anything-ist, I'm now looking for a room that is anything-er, right? Something, something where there's people who are smarter or stronger or, 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 or whatever it is. Like, honestly, whatever it is. Because then when I'm surrounded by those people, um, instead of being jealous or resentful of their proficiency in whatever it is, I'm inspired by it. And I find more potential within myself, or I guess I realize more potential and it's just so much more rewarding. So, I mean, look at it this way. If you're being honest with yourself, anybody else's success has nothing to do with you. It reflects on you not one bit. What reflects on you is how you react to it, how you respond to it, and how you choose to either denigrate it or learn from it. And so I'm going to say that uh, for my first podcast, I'm watching the screen as I record, and it's uh, it's just past 30 minutes. And I really had no idea how long I would go, but I think... I think 30 minutes is respectable, and so I'm going to stop there uh, with the talking. And I'm just going to say, look, thank you so much if you've been listening, especially if you've made it this far. It's uh, it's a real treat for me to, to, to know. Well, I, I guess I don't know, but if you are listening, then you've provided a treat for me. And I would love, love, love to get some feedback from you. So you can email me at experiencehasmademerich at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach out to me some other way. If you know me personally, there's lots of ways to reach out to me, you know, on Facebook or in real life. Um, you can post in the comments section. I believe there's a comment section on Buzzsprout where I'm hosting this podcast. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. And I will keep you posted, uh, about when the next episode is. If you check out where the podcast is hosted. Thanks. Rich out.